Trying to make sense of it all? Tired of terms you don't understand? Blogs, wikis, and RSS? Let us help. Join us September 18th through the 20th in Shanghai at the Learning 2.008 Educational Technology Conference. Register today at learning2cn.ning.com. Mayday, mayday. This is a call to all you educators out there. It's time to shift our schools. Welcome to Shifting Our Schools podcast, episode 13. What stalls the shift? Welcome to another Shifting Our Schools podcast. We're starting a little bit late, as usual, <laughs> which is pretty usual for us around here. But uh, I learned a valuable lesson tonight. Don't do a podcast the day before you're moving out of a country. So all of you remember that that are listening live. Don't move out of the country and try to host a podcast on the same night. It won't work. Okay. So tonight, For the three people that really need to know that, Jeff, I think that's really a great uh, bit of yeah, advice. Thank you. <laughs> so we're going to uh, – we're on our last show for the first season of Shifting Our Schools podcast. Which was great, and we ended up with 13, 13 recordings in our first year. And – what we're going to be doing tonight is talking about our essential question, and our essential question for tonight is what stalls the shift? And we've got two guests live with us tonight. Uh, we have Andy Torres from uh, SedimentsOnCommonSense.com, who is a deputy superintendent at Shanghai American School. Good night, Andy. How are you doing tonight? Uh, not too bad, Jeff. It's uh, been a heck of a school year and today was the last day of school and we uh waved 55 buses on pudong campus out full of kids as they went home for the summer and uh you know so everybody has kind of summer vacation on their mind here in shanghai today yeah no it was good we had our traditional wave wave the kids off and sent the kids out so it's the last day of school. yeah add that on top of everything else i'm trying to do it's the last day of school moving out of school and everything else as well so and we also have rick pierce and uh rick pierce blogs at rising sunconsultants.blogspot.com and rick where you i don't even know where you're at you're somewhere in the states <laughs> i'm actually in hershey pennsylvania excellent home of the chocolate bar my mom is actually from altoona oh really i yeah. i spent uh almost 12 years at uh, teaching at penn state and I had a dual appointment at both the Altoona campus and the University Park campus. Wow. Small world. I so I know Altoona very, very well. That's great. Small world. And I just got back. I guess I'm home now about a week from Taiwan. Nice. I was there with Jeff and I mean with David and Sinju. Excellent. And so it's 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 early in the morning for me. So good morning, everyone. There you go. <laughs> and of course, David's here as usual from Taiwan at lessonslearns.edublogs.org. How are you doing tonight, David? Very well, and congratulations to the the <clears throat> all three of you, two of you, for finishing school up, uh, and Rick for spending so much time this past year at Sinchu International School, and he's taken a little break and a well-deserved one, but. Congratulations to all of you uh, for the end of the school year. Great. All right. Well, why don't you go ahead and get us started, David, kind of frame our question tonight, which is what stalls the shift? And we've got two yes. great guests on. So why don't you kind of frame the question and we'll get into a good little discussion here. Yes. And, and, and during the years we've gone along and kind of build up how to shift our schools, we keep coming back to uh, leadership 
And when we talk about leadership, we talk about leadership within a division and leadership of whole schools. And so it really makes a lot of sense that we finish the year talking to a couple of administrators where Rick has been an administrator, but now he works with administrators uh, as a consultant and helps them um, with their skill sets and how they manage schools. Um, and Andy, obviously, is the deputy head of Shanghai American School. So I'm, I'm very excited to, to hear from, from their perspective uh, what stalls the shift. I'm not an administrator, so I'm, I'm, I'm all ears ready to hear what you all have to say. So maybe um, let's get a little bit of background, if we could. Uh, Andy, could you give us a little background, and then we'll get, get hear what uh, Rick's background is. Uh, my professional background? Yeah. Um, oh, sure. Um, I, I was walking down the lane today with the, the high school principal here on our campus, and I said, well, that would be the 23rd closing of school I've done, so uh, I guess I've been at uh, uh, the education biz for about 23 years. Uh, I'm, I'm from Oregon. I'm an Oregonian and worked in uh, the Portland uh, area for 13 of those 23 um, and, uh, well, more than that, actually, 15 of those 23, and I just, uh, finished up, uh, my seventh going on eighth academic year overseas. I've worked in Saudi Arabia for International Schools Group and worked, uh, actually with Jeff in Yambu, Saudi Arabia, where I was the K-12 principal there, um, and that was my first overseas posting, and now I, uh, landed a job in Shanghai, where I have served as an elementary principal, a K-8 principal, and now deputy superintendent. Um, uh, beyond that, I have master's degrees from Pacific University in uh, Forest Grove, Oregon, and administrative certification and advanced certificates from Lewis and Clark College in Portland. And uh, I've been a tech user from the first day I walked in my first classroom back in 1986. In fact, I was the first person to ever turn in a word-processed paper <laughs> at my university, uh, Eastern Oregon University, in 1984. It was a landmark oh. moment for Eastern Oregon University at that time, off of my little Apple IIc and a typewriter uh, printer. You're really dating yourself, <laughs> Taurus. Yeah, well, I have to do it every once in a while just to keep you honest, Yudik. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, uh, well, it's so good to have you on the show and in the tie-in with your background in technology. I'm, I'm, I'm very interested to hear how you're in, in moving up from teacher to division administrator to whole school administrator. How you see your role and, and how you how you're helping Shanghai shift along. Um, Rick, how about uh, sharing with us some of your background? Sure. Let me let me begin by topping Andy's story. Uh, my first experience <laughs> with, with technology was when I tripped in the hallway at Monmouth College in New Jersey and dropped my box of key punch cards. <laughs> oh. I so used that, those in high school, but I, I, I didn't really think that was real computing, Rick, but I guess maybe. Yeah, well, that was, that was my first. <laughs> That was my first experience with computing, and um, I must say I'm kind of tech technologically inept uh, for the most part. My, I, I also I typed my doctoral dissertation on my Apple IIc, but it was not accepted by the university, so I had to send it in and have it typed on an IBM Selectric. That's the only thing they would, they would accept. Oh, wow. My, my wow. son is a network administrator, 
And my favorite statement is, Tom, just show me which button to push. <laughs> so that, that's kind of my background in technology. Um, my, my educational experience, my academic experience has always been in psychology. My bachelor's is in psychology from a small college in New Jersey called Monmouth College. I believe it's now Monmouth University. I then moved to Penn State where I got my master's in counseling and moved from there to counseling and student personnel services and moved from there to Texas Tech University in Lubbock, Texas. Being a Yankee in Texas was e mm. even more of a culture shock than being an American in Taiwan, by the way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and at uh, Texas, I got my Ph.D. in developmental psychology. I taught at Penn State for uh, approximately 12 years and left Penn State as a tenured associate professor to take an opportunity to work at a place called the Milton Hershey School. And for those of you who don't know anything about the Milton Hershey School, let me just take a quick second. Uh, Milton Hershey and his wife, Kitty, were unable to have children. So back in 1909, they took four orphans into their home, and that began the Milton Hershey School. The school now has, last I heard, it was up to about 1,400 kids. Um, it is a year-round residential school. It's 100% funded by the Hershey Trust. When Milton um, passed away, he had left all of his money, his entire fortune, to this school for disadvantaged and orphaned children. Um, like I said, they now have about 1,400. I know they're shooting for 1,500 students. They have about uh, 150 student homes. And I went there as my title was Dean of Neighborhood and Family Life, and I had administrative responsibility for all non-scholastic, non-academic uh, support services for the kids. Um, and so that was a really wonderful, wonderful experience. That's where I got my administrative experience. I was there for about 12-plus years. And then about five years ago, uh, my best friend and I started Rising Sun Consultants, and basically, we're a leadership development organization that works with administrators in both profit and nonprofit organizations, do a lot of work with schools, um, helping to develop a healthy culture and helping organizations to look at employee engagement, employee issues. And one of the things we specialize in is change and transition management. And I had the great fortune uh, about a year ago of being contacted by the Sinju International School when they were going from an elementary school to a K-12 program and they wanted somebody to help them in developing the secondary program. So I've now been working with Sinju for the past uh, year and a half and had the wonderful experience of spending the, the entire last marking period living in Sinju and working very closely with them. Very so that about very brings us up yeah. to speed. Very cool. Great. So, um, you're doing consulting with leadership work, so let's start with you, Rick. And I read you had a great post a little while back about, uh, you know, kind of this whole as we're <clears throat> trying to shift schools into the 21st century. What stalls the shift in your eyes? Working with leadership, you know, uh, around the world, what is it that in schools stalls that shift from happening? That's not allowing schools to really embrace these 21st century literacies and change our organizations. That's a great question. Jeff, and I guess probably the first thing I would say is that it's not just schools. Any time we're looking at change and change management and transition, 
there is a stall. Change is a very, very difficult process. Probably to me the number one issue, though, is that we use two terms simultaneously, which really are very different, and we need to just take a minute <clears throat> excuse me, and differentiate between those two, and that's the concept of change transition. Change typically is referred to as just the, the action of moving from one state to another. And in all honesty, change is very easy. It's very easy to change. What's difficult is transition. And transition is all the emotional aspects that go along with change. How people feel about the change, how engaged they are in the change, how much they see the change as relevant to themselves, how much they see the change as being imposed upon them. Mm. So I think the first thing we have to look at is that issue of are we really talking about change or are we talking about transition? And so from my experience, I don't think change is stalled. I think what's being stalled is the transition. Mm. Interesting. I like that. Yes. Change. So say that again. Change is what was what'd you say? Change is change, change by is, definition is an action. Right. It's moving right. from one state to another or shifting from one place to another, one idea to another. <clears throat> Transition is the effect of the change. How the how the change affects those who are responsible for implementing the change and how it affects those who are affected by the change. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it really is, I think where we fail, especially as administrators, is we fail in realizing the importance of giving people enough time to grieve the loss of the original, whatever the original was. So let's just take technology as an example. I mean, because I'm a perfect example of that. At Milton Hershey School, I was absolutely the last diehard to hold on to my Apple when we shifted from Apples to PCs a number of years ago. And now everybody's shifting back to Apples. But I was the very last one to let go of my Apple because I'm not really technologically sophisticated. I don't like technology per se. And so for me to have to go through the process of learning a new system was very, very um, emotional. I didn't like it. And so there was a lot of people who saw me as quote unquote resistant mm -hmm. and unwilling to be part of the new wave, if you will. Right. And it had nothing to do with resistance. It had to do with fear. But nobody was taking the time to say, Rick, what do you need from us in order to be successful at implementing this change? And on a time, when you look at, um, let's say you were going to do a, like a laptop program or you're going to change, shift just the whole focus of a school's curriculum from, as we say, uh, teacher-centered to student-centered, more, um, more project-based learning. Right. How, what percentage of the time goes into the change, but, but how much should go into that transition? You, I see what's coming across is that transition is clearly the most important. So if I'm an administrator, what portion of my time should I be ready to put into to each part? I think that's a great question, David. For, for me, from my perspective, and I'm just pulling numbers off the top of my head, mm -hmm. I would think at a minimum you'd be putting 80% of your time 
into the transition if you want an effective change and transition management. Mm -hmm. And only 20% or less into the change. And, and the reason I say that is because the reality is, as the administrator, you're not doing the change. Mm -hmm. It's the teachers, it's the students, it's the community that's making the change. Your job as an administrator, in my opinion, is to provide all the support and resources and uh, all of all of the necessary transitional supports for those who are actually implementing the change. Mm -hmm. I like, you know, Paul in the chat room uh, just chatted in and said to him, the word transition implies a grad, you know, a gradual state where change is more sudden. And I keep thinking Absolutely. about and I keep thinking about this like, OK, I. I you know where I keep thinking about where we are in society today. Is society in a transitional stage into the 21st century, or are we in a change stage where things are happening so rapidly that you literally are in that change state? And then the second thing that I think about is, okay, if you don't keep up with the transition, at what point do you have to, you know, cut the rope and change? Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, education yep. has been stalled for so long. All of a sudden, you know, society takes off. And if you don't stay up with that transition, you know, we've seen it like you take the music industry, right? The music industry is a perfect example. They did not transition with yeah. MP3 on the web. Therefore, they are in a great state of change at this point where they're trying to figure out what the heck they have to do to get back in the game. So if you don't keep up with the transition of society or the transition <laughs> of the way things are going, at some point, do you have to say, we can't transition. We have to change the way things are done. And at what point does that happen? You know, is that do schools make that? Yeah, I, I'll give you. I'll give you the answer. You may. You may not like. Um, the answer is yes. Good. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I say. I say that Jeff because again, choice, just in, just in the way you stated. Yeah. Choose the, the right answer, and that would yeah. be yes. Uh -huh. Yeah. Just in the way you're stating it. Um, you're, you're suggesting change and transition are not one and the same thing. And, and again, they're interrelated. You can't separate the two. And as soon as you try to separate it, I believe that's where the problem comes in. Having said that, let me go to your second point. I think at some point as an administrator, you have to make a decision that some people will not and never will get on board with the change. And we can talk about that for hours on end just in and of itself. Right. But I think administrators have to have the courage, once they have done everything they can to support the person. As David knows, I, I am a firm believer in servant leadership. Right. And I believe that as an administrator, we do not people do not work for us. We work for the we work for the staff. Right. I do not believe teachers work for principals. I believe principals work for teachers. I believe superintendents work for principals, so I really, I am a firm believer in that. But if you've done everything you can to support a person, to give them enough time to transition, and by the way, you often find the person who's most resistant in the beginning becomes your greatest supporter in the end. I've heard but that. the person who just will not shift, as an administrator, you have to have the courage to help them transition to a new position or a or a transition out of the system in a way that maintains their dignity that provides them with opportunities but there are people who just won't go with you and just their presence after a while will stall your efforts mm -hmm. so i think at some point yes you have to just do it 
you you can't at some point you have to make the shift right Taurus what do you think mm-hmm. well you know it's interesting uh, I, I I can't dis you know I can't disagree with anything that's been said so far I you know, in in kind of listening to this conversation and, and what Rick is saying, you know, I'm, I'm reflecting on the people whom I work with now and who I whom I've worked with in the past around change resistance um, um, and transition resistance. I can uh, I, I can see your point, Rick, and 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 yeah, I can agree with that. It's the ch- the changes. The change is the change, and, and ultimately, people either get on board and take it on and do it, and that's the easy part. But it's the transitioning to that point that I think uh, people get muddled with. And you know, I, 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 some of the best people whom I have worked with, and not as as, as leaders for me, who are you know the administrators and the teacher leaders. Uh, in the in the trenches working who have really pushed me as an educator to make difficult transitions or to take on new ideas or to think through things in different ways are the people who yes serve you well but also have a very clear vision and uh, expectation for that change and Ultimately, I think this is something we're dealing with and battling with at Shanghai American School right now around a variety of issues. But um, when it comes to taking on new responsibilities or changing the way we do our work, uh, that you know, 5, 10, 15, 20% of the people out there who are going to dig their heels in really, really hard and fight it all the way uh, can be an anchor or you can just leave them behind. And, right. you know, do you leave people behind like that? And has that served the organization? Well, that's something we could probably debate for another couple hours, and maybe we should. Right. You know, you know, is, is that do we really empower the, the stall shifters by kind of kowtowing to their needs? And, yeah. and, and you know, what, what do we do there? Do we, do we kowtow to the people who are stalling it out? Or right. do we continue as leaders to push forward and continue to pour our resources in for those people who are really making a difference and you can see the results on the other end for the kids? Yeah. Andy, uh, let me let me address something real quick. Yeah. One of the misconceptions about servant leadership is that servant leadership is soft and that servant leadership kowtows to the people. You know, the great the the if you read if you read the works of, of um Greenleaf and others who started this concept of servant leadership, the, the model of servant leadership is Jesus Christ. And this is not a religious discussion. This is a leadership discussion. But if you think about Jesus Christ as the first great servant leader, you have to ask yourself, was Jesus Christ soft? Was Jesus Christ a visionless? Did he, did he not hold people to high standards and high expectations? Did he not hold people accountable for their behavior and their actions? So a great servant leader is not soft. A, a great servant leader understands that their responsibility, once they set the vision, is to provide all the support services necessary to help people to, to accomplish that vision. But if people choose not 
to follow the vision, then they're held accountable. And accountability is not necessarily just a, oh, come on, please, let's do this. At some point, if people are a, if people are an anchor that is holding you back from moving forward, and therefore, in your system, are hurting kids because they're not allowing the process to move forward, then as a servant leader, you have an obligation to remove that person from the system. The difference is, as a servant leader, you do it in a way where you help that person transition with grace, with dignity. You help them find a position and a, um, an opportunity that better fits their moral values, ethics, whatever is causing them not to be able to climb on board. Mm-hmm. So what do you, let's say you're, you're working with a, a school or a leadership team that is looking to shift, that's looking to make this change. Where does a leader start? That, that's, a, that's a great question. The, from my perspective, obviously, the first thing that, that a leader does is to establish a vision of where they want to go. Now, when I say they, I guess I'm a great believer in leadership teams and that these leadership teams are not necessarily made up strip, strictly of high-level administrators, but they're made up of people who have a common interest and a common perspective. That doesn't mean they all always agree. But once you establish that vision, that target, and I believe that's the role of leadership, is to talk about the what. What is it that we're trying to do? Mm-hmm. Then you have to increase the sense of urgency in people. You know, one of the students at um, HIS the other day in responding to a blog that Brent Loken um, put out said that, you know, there's so many things that that are changing in life. And that's what you were just talking about, Jeff. How do you put your energy? You can't put your energy into all of them. So you have to prioritize what's most important to me. So I think the role of a leader is to create an inspiring vision that people really get excited about. Likelihood is you're only going to get a handful of people initially who get excited about it. I believe you use those people as what um, Potter and Cone call a guiding team, a group of individuals who buy the vision and have the uh, influence. They're, they're, they're influencers within the ranks, if you will, to, to then say, okay, how do we make this vision real? Administrators in, in general and leaders in general are, are not always good at how do we implement this. They're visionaries, they're dreamers, and they come up with these wonderful visions and dreams, but they're not always realistic about how is this going to impact the folk. So you got to get the folk involved in determining how we implement it, not to say, yes, we want to do this or no, we don't. That's the, that's the role of leadership sometimes. Now, obviously, you want to use people who are already bought in to help you build the momentum to keep the change going. That's the theoretical side of it. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Andy, do you want to add to that? Yeah, I, I well, I, I certainly can. Um, you know, I, I just typed into the chat room uh, uh, our um, vision point that we've been basing our work on at uh, SAS over the last uh, three years and targeting out to 2012 around technology and 
It reads uh, to use technology in innovative and authentic ways to enhance learning and communication. That broad-based statement has served us well at SAS over the last three years. In that, it provides a single hook in which we can develop those very specific plans on how to make that work in our classrooms. And, uh, it, you know, part of the thing that I think that we're, we've been trying to do in, in, a, in a large international school organization with, you know, 3,000 students and 550 employees that encompass administrators and teachers and, you know, support staff and everything else is to bring people to the table and talk about what that really means to their daily lives and their work and to develop an action plan and a tech plan, a uh, communication plan for for uh, the implementation of technology in authentic ways. Um, we've, as you know, Jeff, and you've been working on this probably more than I have. I, I've basically been kind of pointing to tell you to do this more than anything else, but, uh, and, and we're, we're going to miss Jeff a lot next year at Shanghai American School because he is a good person to 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 even innovate more and dream more and um, you know I I I, I kind of uh, I, I kind of like to take a step back from it myself I, I think you know I'm I'm one of those leaders who kind of like to do a little bit of visionary dreaming and then I ask the people who are on the ground and working with the kids to to really make it happen for uh, organization and then that means putting together a tech plan that can be put in place over a period of you know three to five years and make it work at the classroom level using standards that are applicable and usable for everyone at the same time you're gonna have somebody at the top and it might be me or it might be somebody else who's always kind of pushing and asking the questions and you know maybe the if you know if we're really gonna target what that's gonna stall the shift um, uh, you know, it's, sometimes it's a lot easier to point the finger at somebody else than it may be to really point the finger at us, ourselves, the school leadership. Sometimes we're so busy building roadblocks up for ourselves and for everybody else that maybe it's our fault. And maybe we need to, you know, take a look back inside to, to turn the wagons around a little bit and say, okay, administrators, what is it that you've done to make things more easy to adopt to is it easier to transition that that take that idea of servant leadership but really from a self-critical point of view lay down the law with yourselves and say we've got a goal next year and the goal is a b c d and e and to get there that's we need to we need to we need to take it on ourselves be the model for the organization serve ourselves a little bit and then push that idea out to the to the rest of the organization. Yeah, that's excellent, Andy. Let me let me ask you one quick question. One of the mm -hmm. things I find that is that administrators we do all the time and I think it's part of what gets what, what exactly what leads to what you're saying is you've now delegated this responsibility to to Jeff. What happens after you delegate that responsibility to Jeff? Well, Jeff, answer that question. What do you think? No, no, it has nothing to do with Jeff. It has nothing to do with Jeff, David. The, my question no, is, and I'm, lead, I'm, I'm leading you. I'm, af, I'm asking you a vague question. I'm leading you. Typically, okay. <laughs> as most administrators, when you, when you delegate it to Jeff, in your mind, you're saying, okay, I'm done. 
Yeah. Yeah. I've delegated to the person oh, I who I know yeah. can handle this. Now I'll follow up with them and I'll keep up with them, but now I've got to move on to the next initiative. Right. And so what happens as administrators, we're usually two or three initiatives ahead of the people who are implementing. And so we think it's done. We got mm. everybody on board. We got a team. We delegated it. And people say, so how's this change going? It's working. We got the team going. And we're already working on the next initiative. So as administrators, very often, I think what, what causes exactly what you were talking about, Andy, is that we are already two or three initiatives further in the future than what's happening on the ground floor that particular day. Yeah, well, and, you, you know, you get, you, I think you get a little bit of both. Uh, frankly, uh, I, you know, speaking from for our school, I think you've got uh, people who are three initiatives ahead in a in a in an eleven person administrative leadership team across an organization. You got three people who are you know three initiatives ahead, two people that haven't taken on the one that's five steps backward, and right. um, it, it, you know, it, it, it again, I I I think for from at a lot of standpoints. As leadership teams, if you're going to just focus on the admin and you know the key teacher leaders, we're our own worst enemy. Absolutely. And and you know I, we're we're finishing up an accreditation process at SAS in which we kind of kind of kind of had to take a reflective look at ourselves and look for look from the inside out and the outside in and kind of you know okay well where are we with everything that's been going on over the last three years? You know we've doubled the school size in three years. That's that's pretty significant, you know, if you think about huge. it. <laughs> yeah. That's huge. Um, yeah. And, you know, on top of that, you know, arriving three years ago, there wasn't a single stitch of written curriculum in the entire organization. You know, I, I'm kind of embarrassed to broadcast that to the world, but the fact of the matter is we have built from the bottom up a standards-based curriculum, implemented a tremendous amount of technology change, and established a consistent uh, amount of delivery of administrative structures in a school that's doubled in size in three yeah. years. Yeah. Now, now we could brag about that. Frankly speaking, it's been really hard and very disjointed and chaotic. That's just kind of the way. That's just the nature of the beast. That's Shanghai in, in a end. nutshell, by the way. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. What's your, uh, what's, your tur- what's your staff turnover been during that time period? It remarkably very low. Fifteen percent, pretty pretty standard international school turnover stuff. Uh, we pay well. We have incentives to stay longer. Um, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that. But in the end, we we do pretty well in that regard. Um, but uh-huh. the truth of the matter is, it's kind of hard to track when you've been hiring over the last yeah. three years. Uh, you know, two hundred and fifty plus teachers. Yeah. So you know, this <laughs> this this year this year is really the first year when people are finishing up their initial two year contract. Right. After all that growth, so you know, ask me next year. I'll tell you how. But if you think is. back, Andy, if you think <laughs> if you think back to those people who were there when you got there, what percentage of those do you think are still there? Um, God, you know, you'd you'd be surprised, but quite most of them are. Yeah. Most of them are seventy, eighty percent of them are. Yeah, and a lot and of um, a lot a lot of the people that were leaving this year as well. Uh, have been here eight, nine, and ten years, which for international schools is you know that's that's considered a long time. 
Absolutely. You know, so, yeah. I mean, yeah. you have yeah. that. I, I mean, I think you have to add that changeover in there as well. And like Andy said, I think next year will be the first time to see how well people have handled this transition. And it has, it's been a huge transition. I mean, you've heard it. You heard it in Andy's voice. And I can tell you, as being one of the teachers at the school, it has been unbelievable to be at this school with the time of such rapid change, just in trying to write a curriculum for all areas within your school, within what have we done it, Andy? Two and a half years. Well, two years. We, we wrote we wrote uh, uh, virtually every standard and benchmark for every curricular area in one year. Yeah, for the first year we were here. And and did it and did it. Frankly speaking, quite well. Uh, I mean, there have been a few. I, we've done some reviews. We're in the middle of reviews now on five different areas. Uh, we're tr- trimming that down to two next year, but. The, you know, we start digging back into those standards and benchmarks, and there's just some small tweaks and changes that we have been able to have to do over those period of years because the people who went in there knew what they were doing. We empowered them to do it, and we gave them the time to do it. Um, but, so that's there you go. You know, I, uh, Rick, I'm, I'm reading your blog post. Uh, I, I read it several times today, and I, I was noting in your, your paragraph on implementing change in international schools around the nomadic nature of uh, the international educator. Um, right. You know, it's this is something that we frankly don't worry about too much in Shanghai um, because we figure people are going to make choices about where they work based on a lot of reasons. One of them may be change, but um, I, I can't tell you the number of teachers who have come up to me in the last week. And this is, you know, a really stressful time of the school year. And people are coming up to me and saying, yeah, next year, Andy, I'm hoping we can – and they list things out that they want to do technology-wise, primarily because they know that I'm kind of out there pushing the envelope and leading the effort for SAS. Um, but it, this also includes curriculum documentation, review of standards and benchmarks around you know, social studies is a big one that I'm getting hit with now. Like people really want to get in there and dig into those because there's such a, a need for change in that particular area around the social sciences K-12 through in our schools and change in the way kids are approaching the social sciences and, and, and learning the social sciences in our schools. Um, they, the teachers are excited about it. They want to incorporate the latest technologies, the research, and everything else. And I'm saying to them, you know, we've got three things we're doing next year. And I'm sorry, I'd love to help you, but it can't be social studies. That's a tough one for me. That's really a tough one. So, you know, it's it's an interesting point that we all have to kind of dig in and go after the – the the changes, but again, um, is it is it the, the the you know the fifteen people that came up to me with new ideas this week in the hallway? Is it the administrators who don't implement change very well, or transition people too fast, or don't transition at all? You know, there's all these things, and ultimately it comes back to me to a solid vision statement and empowering people at the ground level to make it work. Step one, step two, step three, and here's my lesson learned over the last three years at Shanghai American School. Everything you do is going to take four times long. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you've got it. You've got it. (laughs) You know, Andy, as I listen to you, the thing I really admire, the thing you're doing that I think is wonderful. Are we all there, guys? Uh, We just lost him. I'll call him back. We lost him. Okay. Keep going, Rick. I'll keep going. And, and the thing that mm-hmm. the thing that Andy's doing that is really wonderful um, is you hear him talking about empowering 
empowering the people at the grassroots level. Administrators, unfortunately, in my experience, when, when we get called in, and again, you know, a guy like Andy probably isn't going to call us in necessarily because he's doing a great job. Often when administrators call us in, what we realize is, unless it's a startup initiative like HIS, we often have an administrator who doesn't understand delegation and doesn't understand this true concept of empowerment. And so what they wind up doing is they micromanage and they, they assign tasks to people, people, or they assign major projects to people. And, you know, I, I bet, and you guys on, the guys that are, are um, typing in here, uh, and again, I'm not, I know I'm not using the right word for whatever it is, streaming, okay, whatever you're doing. Um, <laughs> how many times in your life have you been asked to do a project, you've done the project, you were empowered to do the project, you brought it back to your leader, to your administrator, they smiled and said, that's not what I wanted. Well, if yeah. you knew what you wanted, why didn't you tell them in the first place what you wanted? Yeah. People would people are more willing to do that if they know what it is they're doing. There's nothing more frustrating than feeling like you've been empowered to do something and then coming back and having all of your work just just um, discarded and just ignored. So what what Andy is talking about this idea of empowering the the frontline staff to actually carry out what it is that they've been delegated to carry out and then supporting them and understanding that it's going to you know it, it's going to be different than what you've envisioned it to be right. mm -hmm. uh, and understanding yeah, it's going to take yeah, go. it's going to take a long time yeah. it, it it you know change is very very difficult yeah. here's the question i have for you andy where did this initiative start great question it started with members of the community. That vision point was developed by a group of parents, teachers, students, administrators, board members. That makes change a thousand times easier. Yeah. You know, let's look at HIS yes, it for does. A Yeah, let's look at HIS for a minute. You have a you have two really great visionaries in uh, Grant Rushkovich and and um, and Brent Loken, both really understand the the concept of educating the whole child. Uh, those of you that know Brent know that you know he brings a, a wealth of knowledge about technology and about curriculum development. Grant is is an incredible visionary and is one of these human beings that walks in a room and kids just you know gravitate to him. I, I, he's one of those people that I love watching with kids. He has an enormous capacity to understand kids and what, what makes it work. We had a staff, they had a staff there a year ago that were, in my mind, and you know, some of them may be listening and some of them will absolutely disagree, were very traditional teachers. And their main focus was on how do we control behavior and how do we discipline kids? And not on how do we create this wonderful environment where most of the day seems chaotic. But it's chaotic because it's adolescent, and adolescents are chaotic. And we're giving them room to grow, but there's a clear structure and, and a clear framework. You have parents who are obsessed with SAT scores, with AP, with you know being only going to Harvard and Yale and, and quote unquote the best of colleges. You have a board 
which naturally is saying, okay, we only have 50 students, guys. We need to have 100 students in order to pay for the building and to maintain the program. Now, you're looking at a small school. The school will never grow above 110 students. That's what it's built for. You know, it's not a school like Milton Hershey or, or Shanghai where you have thousands of students, where you have hundreds, if not thousands, of employees. You know, we almost had a one-to-one -one ratio of adult to students if we took all staff at Milton Hershey. It was huge. Mm -hmm. But the resistance, the resistance to change at HIS has been unbelievable. We even lost 40% of the faculty in January. People who came brand new, who left at one, after one semester. And again, people were very upset about this and looking at the administration saying, you're failing as an administration. My position was and is that they were not failing as an administration. As a matter of fact, they were doing the hardest job of administration and change management. And that is that they, were, they weren't letting up. And they were sticking to the change. You know, mm -hmm. one of the things that happens so often is that when you don't have the support of your board, of the community, of your teachers, it's very easy to compromise and compromise and compromise to the point where all of a sudden what you were trying to create no longer exists. Or it's so watered down that, in fact, it fails. It fails because it wasn't what you originally planned or originally visioned. And then people are saying, you see, I told you it wasn't going to work. Mm -hmm. um, and so yeah. one of the things as administrators we have to have the courage to do is to stick to our guns and to say, okay, I understand. We're not changing the vision. Help me understand how to support you in being successful in making this vision a reality. Well, you just you answer my question. I've been sitting here in, earlier you were talking about priorities, and I was, I've looked at other schools I've been at, and Andy and Jeff – Shanghai is just such a distinct school, and it's had so much going on. It might not be the best example because you've had to grow and change no matter what. You couldn't help it. You just had kids lining up to to come into your building, and you had to you had to make those moves. But what is it um, that when you're an administrator and you're getting pulled in all these different directions from one parent group, another parent group, a group of teachers? How do you set up those priorities and then how do you really follow through and make the change happen and you've really just answered my question um, I think there, there, there are other parts and ways to answer but I think that's a big one is that you you stick with what you said you're going to do you have the, the courage to stand up for it and, and I'll, I'll go ahead <clears throat> and answer one other part that I really like about HIS is that when they make decisions they say these decisions are based upon our mission in our student mm -hmm. learning outcomes. Everything comes back. It's just like in the in countries around the world, they base their decisions on their constitutions. And it makes so much sense, and it's so, it's so difficult for people to argue when you say, we all bought into this mission, and you're saying that I'm, I'm, I and my leadership team and the teachers at Bacchus, we did it, and, and you're arguing with me because <clears throat> you didn't want it, but guess what? We're doing what the mission statement says. And I think for administrators, if you, if you come back to that, it's going to really help you stay on your ground much better. Yeah. You know, it's, it's inter another interesting point about uh, our organization, and I, I think other schools deal with this a little bit around transitions with new people coming in. Um, uh, we spend a fair amount of time as we hire new individuals now 
orienting them to our school vision and really getting a commitment at the time of contract signing to say that, number one, they can support it, but also that they, from a philosophical point, believe in it. Yes. Um, now, one of the challenges we've had over the last year at Shanghai is two new building administrators that have come in and they've kind of had to live with the reality of following through on a vision statement and a school vision around a variety of points, including technology, that they didn't have, um, they, they weren't involved with on an intimate basis as, they, as, the, the, as the rest of us were when we you know, built this, this vision statement. And I, it's been kind of interesting to kind of take a step back and to watch them kind of have to go through the, the mental anguish and thought process and kind of find, and, and at some point, you know, there's, I think there's a little bit of a mourning process, maybe some resignation, you know, there's some initial pushback, you know, if, for people who don't, you know, don't get involved with it initially and then kind of are assigned it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I don't, from, from a principal's perspective, I don't think we really appreciate the fact that classroom teachers have to do that too. But all of a sudden, I've had to say, oh, here's one of my direct reports whom I'm having to help lead a school, and they aren't totally bought into the whole idea. Um, they need some more time on this. They need to understand what the process that the school went through to develop that, that, those ideas. And, and again, you know, maybe that's transition. Maybe that's transition in. Instead of transition from uh, from the chain standpoint, so you know everybody comes to comes to this comes to the table with a different uh, 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 set of skills, issues, and uh, history around that. So it's it's another another thing we I think we need to consider when we move forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just yeah. let me you know I'll kind of uh, to kind of get move this on here. We're we're coming late into the um, conversation because I know we could sit and talk about this. And Andy and Rick, I really appreciate you guys being here. It's fantastic. But to kind of tell you know my story where where what happened at SAS and you talk about servant leadership and you talk about how do administrators you know help to support that change when I came here three years ago I was an elementary technology teacher and we still had technology classes in the elementary school where our kindergarten or pre K through fifth grade had forty five minutes of tech time this is in two thousand five. Uh, SAS wasn't doing anything online as far as Moodle or Blackboard or any kind of online communication at that point. And Andy and I had worked together in Saudi Arabia before coming here. And when we got here and there was all this change going on led by, you know, Dennis Larkin, our superintendent, our deputy superintendent at that time was Sarah Putnam. And it was really, you know, it was great because I felt as a teacher, I was able to go to my administrators. I was able to go to Dennis. I was able to go to Sarah. And with the support of Andy at the, at the uh, principal level and say, hey, look, there are some things we can do here and it's not going to catch. It's not going to, it's not going to cost us a lot of money. And this is kind of where the, you know, the innovative part of our mission statement comes into play. And I asked for $60 and it's funny because I've been going through all of this. I asked for 60 bucks for a shared hosting site so that I could install Moodle. And so they gave me they gave me $60. I bought a domain and a little shared hosting site. I installed Moodle. I went up to the high school. So high school, I'm not doing anything with high school at this point. I'm an elementary technology teacher. I hold two after-school trainings for Moodle in the high school. And that was our start to the transition. And the great part was is that throughout that whole change, I was completely supported to kind of go out there and get things rolling. And it was very much a grassroots level at that point. 
you know, yep. we, we weren't we weren't doing it. It wasn't mandated, but it was here. And if you want to learn how to do it and you want to use this in your classroom, go for it. Well, you, you, I mean, you all know how how that works at a grassroots level, right? You get one teacher that's doing it. Next thing you know, the teacher across the hall wants to do it. And then the teacher across the hall wants to do it. And, you know, one of the first people to 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 kind of grab onto it was Clay Burrell. And he grabbed on and it spread like wildfire in the high school. And by the end of our first year, I had to go back and ask for another $60 because we had maxed out the little account. And so the administration again supported us, and we moved it. And then the next year, I moved over to the Pudong campus, and the vision started to be created within the administration as we started to carry on these conversations around how do we, how do we support this? Where is this going? What are we going to do with technology at our school? And we started having those conversations at the same time this grassroots kind of momentum was building and the biggest uh, for me the big change part was as i was called into a meeting with dennis larkin sarah andy torres um other technology people and they sat down and they said what's the vision where can we go and i basically led a uh just a, a really brief um presentation over what was out there because again people didn't know what was out there and you know a teacher told me this once and i've always remembered we don't know what we don't know and i thought that is so perfect and that is it for most teachers it's not that teachers aren't willing to do it they don't know what's out there that they don't know what's out there and to just bring that in front of the administrators and say look these are things we could be doing at this school and we have things in place or we can put things in place to support these and to me that was the huge that was the huge shift for administrators and the thing that has allowed us to do and allowed me to become so successful at this school is that continual support from the administration around everything that we wanted to do we created this vision statement that Andy put in the chat there to have uh, to use technology and innovative and uh, innovative in what's the word i forget now I'm already checked out. See, last day of school. <laughs> to use uh, inventive, innovative and authentic ways to enhance learning. Ways, yes. And so once yes. that was in place, we were allowed to really expand. And the big change point for, for teachers was we came together again with the administration and said, how do we bring teachers on board? And I said, we need to have what ended up being called Tech Fest. And so the administration completely supported it. We had two full tech PD days that were, got set aside to be technology professional development days. We flew in David Warlick, who spent a whole week with our teaching staff. And at the end of that week, and Andy, you can still feel it today, and Andy will back me. At the end of that week, the shift had occurred. I mean, teachers knew that this was something an administration was going to do seriously. We had this fantastic presentations from David Warlick. We had all of these teachers giving presentations. Teachers that were using technology already were giving presentations, and that really gave us the foothold to start moving things forward. And from that point on, technology has been at the forefront, and people are excited because they understand that they're going to be supported in it, that there's going to be structures put in place. I mean, we, Andy, you're talking about the, you know, the expansion of the school. When I got here three years ago, there were four technology people. There's eight or seven, seven this year. I mean, that's mm -hmm. just the technology department and how it's expanded as we've added this you know, technology piece. And again, throughout this whole process, and I think this is the part you're trying, you were trying to make, Rick, they empowered me to say, go out and make that change. But then I right. constantly had their support to make that change happen, you know? I mean, right. we went back so, at, at, at the end of this year, we went back, me and Don Miron, who's my counterpoint on the other campus. We went to the admin and said, look, 
we will not at this point we need to be spending some serious money we need to get our own servers we need to find people that are gonna you know be able to support those servers if we're going to continue on we need to take a hard look on where we want to go and spend some serious money and we've done it we've just ported everything from those little sixty dollar servers that we were running in the united states we've just brought all of that back and we're really starting to build a cohesive system here on campus but again it's that you know you hit it on the head rick you you empower people to make change and then you support you over support them you over support right. them to make that change happen i'm right. done can i answer and, can i and and you need to give, and Paul's... you need to take three more t three three times as much time as you think it's going to initially going to take when you start the project yeah that's, Jeff, that's, can that's I answer an honest Paul's thing. question yeah. can i answer paul's question real quickly i know it is a whole other show but paul's question is so important oh, about yeah, what do you do when you have an administrator where you aren't being supported by the administration or you don't feel like you're being supported by the administration in, in one simple word it, or one simple statement it's getting them to listen to the radio station WIFF what's WIFM I'm sorry what's in it for me yeah it's really helping the administration to understand that you're not asking you're helping them you're trying to help them to reach the goals so often when people come into an administrator's office with the passion and excitement about doing something, it often feels like, and it comes across like, you're trying to take us in a whole different direction. And as administrators, that can be a very frightening experience when you feel like the staff or a leader on the staff is trying to change the direction that you're headed in. So, Paul, that would be my biggest encouragement for you is really look at how do you partner with that administrator? How do you help that administrator to see if they're not a great servant leader themselves, how do you become a servant leader to them? How do you support them through what it is you want to do and help them understand and take the time so that it doesn't feel like you are pressuring or attacking or mandating? Yeah, that, that question is coming from the chat room. Paul put it forth. What uh, he would like someone to ask in a school where you have IT, and I think we have a lot of our listeners are IT people or e educational technologists. What do you do when your administrative leaders uh, are are not on board, and 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 maybe for whatever reason they may don't understand, or as Rick's saying, maybe they feel threatened. Um, what do you do when when you're trying to help shift your school along? And Rick, you've shared that with me before, I, and that's something I want, I, in another show, I want to talk a lot more about. When you're sitting in that office as an administrator, how we, we know how difficult it is, but just the culture of being an administrator, and, and when someone comes in and, and, and brings that kind of proposition, how uh, the person bringing that proposition really has to, to put it in a format that's going to make it digestible and understandable and non-threatening. And, and, but on the other side, going way back to what Andy was saying earlier, um, it's just like as teachers, we have to admit when we don't know um, uh, that as teachers, we're, we're not the fountains of all knowledge in our modern uh, classrooms, that there's administrators that can say, you know, I don't know a whole lot about what you're talking about, but I'm, I'd like to learn more about it. Let's, let's, let's have some times together and, and talk about this. I think... Um, I think that's a you're, whole area that we can talk about. You're right, David, because what I, what I shared with you at dinner that night that we, that we were talking about this that's so critical, mm -hmm. that administrators, just like teachers, are passionate. 
And we go into administration, just like teachers go, you go into teaching because you want to help kids. You want to help educate kids. You want to make life better for kids. You go into administration because you want to make the system better for, for everybody so that we can ultimately help kids. But as an administrator, you're, you're only as good as your last decision. I went from sending out an email in the morning and getting emails back saying, Rick, you're the greatest thing that ever happened to Milton Hershey School, to sending out an email in the afternoon and the same people saying, Rick, you're pond scum. So, so yeah, being it's, an it's, administrator. What you've done for me in the last five minutes. Absolutely. Being an administrator was the most difficult job I have ever done in my life because I care about people and I care about the way people perceive me and how people value me. Because I value people. And as an administrator, you're going to be hated. There are times you are going to be hated as an administrator. And if you can't tolerate that, then get out of administration. Because it's just a reality of the job. And that you're right. That's a whole nother that's a whole nother topic. But it kind of addresses somebody here said something about how we're characterizing ad- administrators. It, it's an incredibly, incredibly difficult job. And but that's why, as I always say, my favorite saying is that's why you get the big bucks. Yeah. And I do understand that big bucks are relative. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But you get the bigger bucks because you're taking on that responsibility and you're putting yourself in the line of fire. And I'll you add know, this. I, from... I, I, uh, just, I, wrote a, I was the one that wrote the question here. I I'm not logged into um, Ustream. Are we still here, guys? About yeah. uh, if I'm if I'm working for an organization that does not align with my belief, what are my options? You got to you know, this is the thing that I guess is is kind of a reality for uh, international educators that I think is very very important, and that is that if you are not ready to jump on board with what's the belief of the organization is, then you're not working for the organization that's right for you. No, that's that's and, a good point. And, and you know, and that's and that's the bottom line. There, there are. I think teachers in the international field, especially, need to realize that we are in a business where our, in the international field, especially, if you are a technology savvy teacher who can lay out for students and teachers and administrators a, a great system of of learning systems in your classrooms or in your job. You're going to find yourself a lot of job offers on the table when you go out to those job fairs or if you just even throw your resume out there. There's lots of schools who are looking for people who are ready to push the envelope forward. And I, and I, gotta, I, I still kind of have to ask myself sometimes, and, I, and I'm very philosophical about it. I'm not, not from a negative standpoint, but people will say, I'm really unhappy. My administrators or my school board is just not on board with this whole tech thing. And, you know, I, I have to ask and I ask nicely, but I have to ask, so why are you staying at the school? Yes. There's lots of other places that need you. Yeah. Excellent. And, 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 and you know, it's, move on. Get, pick up your bags and pack your, you know, boxes and, and go find another place because there will be people out there begging for you. If you really want to use technology in innovative and authentic ways to enhance communication and learning, by God, there are... 15 schools that are ready to sign you up tomorrow. Yeah, it's true. And, and Jeff, you, you know this is true. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, yeah. uh, and, I, and I've seen it time after time. And I'm the guy out in the trenches trying to hire people, and I'm trying to hire tech-savvy teachers. And when I go to make a job offer and they already have five offers on the table, the whole thing changes. 
And it's, it's just very interesting, very interesting. Well, here's my one tip from an educational technology person. If you have an administrator that you're trying to get that in with, the one thing that I have found that has worked for me, at least, is good old-fashioned email. And I know Andy will remember this. When, when I first started working for Andy in Saudi Arabia, he would get these little email notes all the time that just had links to articles. And it would just say, mm-hmm. like, read this today. This is interesting. And a link. And send it to your administrator. And read this today or thought you would enjoy this. I mean, you have to have, you know, you have to understand what your administrator is into. You know, like, like Rick said, they're passionate about leadership. Find things that deal with leadership and technology and pass those links along. Because administrators are so busy, they don't have time to go out and find them themselves. But if you can find some of those and say, oh, this was interesting today. Or I thought you would enjoy this. And just start sending those links. Then when you talk to your administrator, you have something to frame those conversations around technology and how mm-hmm. and where the school's at and how where the school needs to go. That, as a technology person, that's what's worked really well for me. Is and, and Jeff, those Jeff little, look, little emails. that's a great segue into our blog post of the week because you've got a great blog post made and written by administrators that has wonderful issues uh, and a lot of insight uh, that that one can share with administrators to to kind of to to bring them along in their professional development uh, and starting to read blogs. That's the first step. That's one of the things that in IT for me as an instructional technologist, I'd always find what was the or what is the interest of the teacher or the administrator, and you build you start building from there. So, are you ready to jump to blog post of the week? Yeah, I'm ready to go. Do you want to go ahead and get started? Yeah. All right. All right. Um, I've got a I've got a couple. Uh, Ryan Breitag, he um, commented recently on Mark Prince, Prinsky's principles for principles, and he took uh, Prinsky's uh, I guess it was a handful of what the principles should be, um, the guiding principles if you're going to be a principal, and he developed it into a uh, like a top ten list, and I thought that was really helpful. And then Will Richardson uh, had a, a recent post on adapting to change um, ties into I think a lot of, of what, what Rick and Andy have been saying tonight and just the other day I, I saw Cheryl Nussbaum Beach had put a um, like a chart together on one of her posts and I didn't I'm not including it tonight it's kind of like Kubler-Ross's stages of, of uh, uh, death and going through death and denial of how one goes through the transition part after the initial change. Uh, and, and I thought that was a good post as well. Yeah, very uh, good. Andy, uh, do, you, do you have something for us, a book or a blog post? Well, I have a – yeah, I do a lot of blog reading. Um, first of all, I, I have a blog post of a former colleague of mine I worked with back in Oregon. His name's Skip Offenhauser. I'm going to post his uh, link on the, the chat room here. Uh, Skip uh, is currently a district technology coordinator in uh, central Oregon um, and put a nice post up today or a couple days ago. I don't know when it was. It was recently on 23 Things, a, a PD success story. And I think it, it's, a nice, uh, it's a nice story about you know, some of the things that he's been working with with his teachers in, in Redmond, Oregon and, and some of the battles that are going on. And it's, you know, it's always I, – I, I, somehow or another I find I, I connect – to the down and dirty in the trenches stories on blogs because mm-hmm. it's it's really about you know what what's what's working and and what's not working 
Um, the other blog post that I, I really connected with me this week was um, from Leader Talk. I, I, I read Leader Talk a, a lot because it tends to be peer-related for me. I find it a personal uh, personal learning network activity. And um, this week uh, in Leader Talk, someone, I'm not sure, I think it was Greg Farr, wrote an article on who is interviewing whom. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to um, that whole idea of finding a place to work that's going to connect with you on a professional and personal level. And if it's not right, then go and find the spot. And, and in this uh, blog post, Greg does a great job of outlining in, in role-play format an actual transcript of an interview that took place uh, uh, with another with a teacher he interviewed, and it's great. It's an excellent blog post. It's uh, and I, if if you're if you're not familiar with Leader Talk, you need to start hooking. Up. There's a bunch of really smart admin out there, and new admin folks looking for uh, ways to to process issues they have, and uh, I would recommend it. And I'm going to post that one also in the chat room. Right there. There it is. Now, Jeff, you've got to move because that's the one Jeff had as well. Um, and he shared Leader Talk with me a couple months ago, and I've shared it with my administrators. It's, it's just a fantastic uh, blog. Yeah, and that was going to be my post again for tonight. I mean, it's ran by Scott McLeod, and what he's done is he's gone out and found a lot of these administrators who are getting the shift or who are working through the, the change you know, the shift that's mm-hmm. happening in schools. And so it's a great blog post from, a, you know, I, I don't know how many people he has writing for him at this point. There's probably 10 or 15, 20 different administrators who take turns writing on that blog. It really is a fantastic place to go and find some great stuff to pass on to your administrators. You know, it, it really is a, a good a good place for that kind of stuff. So, Rick, do you right. have a, a blog post to share? Sure. Um, one of the ones that I'd like to share is, is the one that you mentioned earlier that I, I wrote about a month or so ago. I think it just really kind of encapsulates the issues about change that, that I've been trying to share with you. So I just posted that. And another one that, I, that I'd like to share with you is one that um, was shared with me by Brent Loken, uh, which is um, a guy by the name of Fuller. I think it might be Mark Fuller. And he does a lot of stuff on leading and managing change in schools. You know, so again, my background is a little broader and really kind of looks at change in general. But this one is really kind of focusing on on schools. I'm not sure it's a blog as much as it might be an article from NCREL. Yes. Uh, but both of those, I think, is a good way to just kind of get started on the change. A couple of other, just some authors that really are great on um, change, and I'll just kind of write them down here. One is William Bridges. Yeah. And if you, if you go to, um, here, let me just give you this, www.risingsun, Rising Sun Consultants, I can't remember my own webpage. <laughs> consultants.com um, we have book reviews um, which really kind of highlight in detail some of the work William Bridges and the other one is um, Cotter and Cone so Cotter and Cone and if you just kind of go to, to our website and go to go to book reviews 
Yeah. It kind of, again, is a way to just kind of get started in the whole area of change. Both of them are really huge proponents of the concept of change and transition management. I find most of um, Fuller's stuff, although excellent, really focuses more on change, but it absolutely takes it from a school perspective. Uh, and so it really talks about things that the other ones don't. That's great. Thank you. And, of course, I'm going to share once again, if you're in the international world, uh, we do have the Learning 2.008 conference coming up next September. You know, bring your administrators along. You know, it really is a great way. And to your bring, board members. And your board members. Get your board members. Yeah. I know. That's, that's, that's what, what, I, that's what I'm do. doing. Yep. Yeah. You know, bring them to the conference and get them in. You know, I mean, it is very a supportive environment. It's a great place to learn. And. You know, last week I got to go with uh, some uh, company here that's helping us to podcast every single session so that it'll be available on the web. And they allowed me to create a little conference ad. So I'm just going to play that for you because this is kind of cool and I'm excited about it. <laughs> Trying to make sense of it all? Tired of terms you don't understand? Blogs, wikis, and RSS? Let us help. Join us. September 18th through the 20th in Shanghai at the Learning 2.008 Educational Technology Conference. Register today at learning2cn.ning.com. See, isn't that cool? Isn't that awesome? So, anyway, come to the conference. It's, uh, <laughs> it's great. And uh, we're going to have a, a lot of fun. And it really is going to be a very shifted environment as we uh, continue to, to find ways to make this change happen within our schools. So... Yeah, you can download that on my blog. By the way, Jenny Jenny just said she really liked it. You can download it on the blog. We're releasing it. We're hoping that people will send it all over the internet. Send it to your administrators. Uh, embed it in your own blog, in your own blogs, or your own podcasts, uh, and help us spread the word about about the uh, conference. So that's that's my plug for the week. Good stuff. <laughs> well, I think we need to we need to to um, close out for the evening and look out towards. Uh, September and uh, thank Andy and Rick for coming in. Uh, I, this is a, a conversation we want to continue next year, so we'll pull you back from wherever you might be. And uh, I guess Andy, you're going to be there in Shanghai, and Rick, I back guess you'll be back in Shanghai next year. Yeah, oh. yeah. And Rick could be in Sinchu one week, or back in Pennsylvania, or someplace else. <laughs> He's <laughs> a man all over in the high. Place. You're a man in high demand. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but thank you for coming on and we're going to pick up again in September with our second season we've already started a second Google document with some essential questions that we're going to come up with um, for next year but appreciate all the support and uh, people especially coming into the chat room and, and sharing questions and ideas with us yeah and you know feel free to send us questions you can either leave a comment on the blog or you, yes. you can go to sospodcast at gmail.com and send us you know if there's a question that you would like to see us to bring people together around and kind of have here for an hour or so and discuss you know discuss your question your central question that you have feel free to send that to us and we'll we'll plug that in for next year as well andy rick thank you again for such a great conversation uh, this been has great. been so much fun this year, and I really look forward to next year. I look forward to taking the summer off. You get, you know, get out of Jeff, here. I'm, you're not, I'm, Jeff. I know you better than that, and <laughs> I know for full well that you're not taking the summer off. You're, you're a very busy man, uh, doing a whole bunch of things, and and uh, I think uh, I, you know that this is the best thing I love about education is that uh, you know you get the summers off, quote unquote off, but you get to do 
stuff that's not work related but you're still on yeah and that's the learning. fun part about it it's sure. totally cool that's that's the fun part so neck assessment <laughs> uh, training institute for me in portland with rick defour and rick stiggins and uh you know and then it's back to shanghai to make it happen and put some new ideas on the table and get people talking about it and applying it to the for, to the things we're doing now and that's that's the beautiful part about it yeah it's great all right, so that's going to wrap up episode 13 and season one of Shifting Our Schools podcast. Until next September, keep shifting those schools. Thanks, guys. That was fantastic. Good. Bye. See ya. Bye. Thanks, Rick. Really appreciate it. Great, great. Thank you, Rick. Nice talking to you. Hope I can meet you soon. Yeah, you too, guys. Anytime. Talk to you soon. Great day. Ha, 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 ha.